Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, good morning, City Collective. Um, today, we are going to be beginning a new series. I hope that you have created space in your home to already begin your year with a moment of worship. Um, this series that we're going to be starting is going to take us to the end of the month. And just like every year, it's a high priority for us at City Collective to have conversations around the area of mental health. Every year, we look at it from a different perspective. But specifically for us this year, we're calling this series uh, Deeply Formed. Now, Often what I find is that our perceptions of others and ourselves are driven by symptomatic actions of our lives rather than the roots. Um, our experiences, our emotions, our relationships and personalities, these, these lie at the root of who we are. And all these things, they lie beneath the surface and they, they have a massive impact. Therefore, we are deeply formed. But all of those things, some of which we have control over and other things we're forced to navigate, they lie beneath the surface of how much more it is vital to understand how we act upon these areas, how we also take intentional steps towards healthy and aware journeys of being deeply formed. One of the popular flip phrases that you will have likely heard in church if you've attended for any period of time is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's so beautiful and true. And that's in Psalm 139. And for me, at least, it seems to draw my attention outward when in fact, I think there's also a nuanced invitation throughout that chapter and so much of the Bible that the call of Jesus speaks of deep rootedness, speaks of wholehearted commitment. It speaks of our lives being made up of, by more than what we simply desire to project. And what we'll be doing over these next three weeks is considering some of these areas which we are deeply formed, how they associate with our mental health, our experiences, how that's tied in with our anxiety, our relationships, areas of forgiveness, and our personalities, how we find real rhythm that is healthy for us in our everyday lives. These, these past nine months of COVID have brought some new experiences. Um, and for one, I have never watched so much Netflix in my life. And maybe that's the case for you as well. And even growing up, we weren't really allowed to watch a ton of movies. And one in particular that I remember Jessica and I were told to leave while my parents watched it was a Titanic. It was a big issue at the time, but we left and they began to watch what was the Titanic because this blockbuster hit. We ended up watching it later with Celine Dion hitting all the right notes. And in Rich Vlodis' book, The Deeply Formed Life, he talks about this movie. And now he was taken back by the contrast between those on the upper deck and those on the lower deck. The upper deck was luxurious while the lower decks were poverty stricken. But when the Titanic struck the iceberg, the disaster was experienced by everyone regardless of their socioeconomic status. However, they experienced it completely different. For those on top, there was this tragic um, obliviousness. Everything still looked amazing and it was almost business as usual. But on the lower decks, there was an immediate disaster. And soon enough, the issues, or more specifically, the water, began to rise to the upper deck. And you can see the metaphor. 
that sooner or later the issues that are present on the lower decks of our lives, regardless of how unaware we may be, will rise to the top. I think we can all agree that disaster doesn't just strike when we're aware of it. Quite the contrary. And on the upper decks of our lives are our social media accounts, impressive highlight reels carefully curated to project an image that we believe is what we want people to think of us. And this is especially so in our areas of mental health. People, people can look so content, joyful, and successful on top, but be struggling with suicidal thought, drug addictions, marital affairs, debilitating shame, inner rage, crippling anxiety, the list goes on and so much more lying beneath the surface. In, in my own self-examination of my social media profile, I know that it doesn't always project the depths and sometimes threatening waters that can be rising in my life. So this is what I ask of you today and throughout this series is that you would ask yourself, am I allowing myself to be deeply formed? That you would ask the Holy Spirit to reveal and restore areas beneath the surface that have been ignored for too long. That you would give yourself grace enough to be honest, knowing that it is on those lower decks that we are truly shaped, that the work of God wants to, the work that God wants to do in us requires us to, to look within, to look deeper, and to be deeply formed. Why? Because honestly, we are covertly and consistently being formed by a culture fashioned by shallowness. And there's more to life than that. So we're reading out of Psalm 139 this morning, and I am reading out of the ESV. You can follow along on the screen as we read together. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Then we'll jump to verse seven. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. On to verse 13. For you are formed, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Search me, O God, on to verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the scripture reading for this morning. Now, in a, in a time of year where a lot of the conversation is around newness or restarts, I find it somewhat amusing how much of our lives are consistent actions essentially treated as a tradition or routine. You know what I mean? When, what I do first thing in the morning, uh, what do I do when I get into my vehicle? What do you do when you get in your vehicle? How you open a conversation with a close friend or a parent. Uh, how you do your chores around your house, laundry, dishes, cooking, whatever it might be. We all have normalized manners of doing things that far too often we simply do because we have always done it that way. And that's how a tradition often starts. You need something done, you find a way to do it, 
you do it again and by the third time that's just the way you've always done it but have you ever asked yourself how a specific tradition started in your home I, I, I don't think I'm shocking anyone in saying that entering marriage Adriana and I were coming with our own preset routines and traditions um, we have very different personalities and very different ways in which we will operate during the day. The manner in which we did the day were dramatically different beforehand and they came up against each other. We're better today, but man, it was a point of contention that we are still trying to navigate sometimes. First time I cooked for Adriana, I became very aware that I operate differently in the kitchen and I was, and in many ways, remain of the opinion that you clean at the end of your cooking. And I'd always done it that way. But Adriana does not do it that way. Adriana is a clean as you go kind of cook. And in all honesty, I had never really thought about why I did it my way. Adriana, on the other hand, had thought long and hard about why she did it her way. So when she asked me why I do it, I gave her the classic response that many of us give for so many different areas of tradition in our lives. I just have always done it that way. Needless to say, I no longer do it that way and our home and marriage is better for it. But there was a way in which I did things that I never reflected upon. And this approach of normalized routine without any real examination is more common than we think. Our, our lives are so busy and, and compartmentalized that we often find ourselves living out our days without any real interior examination. Uh, this is true for our actions, but it's also true of our thoughts, of our emotions, of our feelings. And, and the book of Psalms is filled with words of worship, but it is also packed with the language of interior searching and examination. Uh, these aren't nursery rhymes, but raw, authentic, honest songs that reflect the emotional experience of the psalmist. It's a spectrum of grief anger, of fear, anxiety, joy, hope, worship. These are the words meant to give expression to what is happening inside of us. And there's so many reasons why your mental health matters. And in regards to your faith, I want you to know that God cares deeply about the true expression of who you are and engaging with every bit of it, to examine and consider specifically the examination of anxiety is a powerful practice for us to engage in what God wants. Psalm 139, it provides a heart of David, a person who is committed to a deeply formed interior examination. The examination of, our, of ourselves is more than than just even our emotions or thoughts, but it's also our feelings. And there's a distinction to be made between emotions and feelings. Uh, Swiss psychologist Alice Miller, she notes that emotion is more or less unconscious, but at the same time, it's a vital physical response to internal or external events. For example, um, fear of lightning, anger at being lied to, or, or pleasure from achievement. Now, on the other hand, the word feeling designates a conscious perception of an emotion. This can lead to an expression of it. And as we sift through those feelings, they can come out. Emotions don't die. They're redirected in a myriad of ways, some of them dangerous. And it's by these emotional filters that we walk through relationships, experiences, and anxieties. Our, our emotions and feelings, they end up playing together. So hear me carefully in this. The honest truth is that we all experience anxiety. 
To be anxious is to be human. However, to be regularly shaped by anxiety actually diminishes our humanity. Peter Steinke notes two types of anxiety, acute and chronic. Acute anxiety is situational and time-based. It's a momentary loss of, of self-composure or, or poise. Um, chronic anxiety is not specific to a threat. Any issue, topic, or circumstance can provoke this. those of us who are chronically anxious. And in turn, we can lack the necessary capacity to step outside of our experience, observe emotionality, or, or reflect on what's happening and have some kind of interior, interior examination. Sorry. And, and this is always important to note that medication, counseling, scientific, and medical approaches to our areas of mental health are vital and important. They matter, and we are better with them. But we're also invited to cast our cares on Jesus, to be anxious for nothing, to find peace and rest and hope in Jesus. Our approach doesn't need to be one or the other, but both and. So that's what we're dealing with this morning. Understand that God cares deeply about your mental health. God cares deeply about your flourishing and peace. It's normal to have moments of acute anxiety, but when our lives are chronically being affected by an undercurrent of anxious forces, we are in bondage and we need to be proactive in how we move into it. But this is even how God is able to work all things for good because in our anxiety, it can provide us with the opportunity, the gift of self-awareness and healing. And as we name our anxiety and linked experiences, there can be interior examination, which leads to real healing. Interior examination, self-examination is a biblical idea. When we go into communion every time, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 to take time to reflect on our ways, saying, let a, let a person examine himself and then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Then in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul urges the church to pay careful attention to their outer deeds and inner life, saying, examine yourselves to see where you are in the faith. Then in Lamentations 3.40 is a lament from the prophet Jeremiah that the people had lived mindlessly, and he calls them back to a careful examination of their ways. And then in Galatians 6, Paul invites them to examine their work. Let each one test his own work. All this to say, that if we are to be faithful and be deeply formed, the commitment to self-examination is vital to God. Now, this is easier said than done, and maybe all of this talk of self-examination has you examining your social media feed and checking out of the sermon. You're not alone, and I think we can all carry some sense of trepidation at the prospect of what we might find within ourselves. It's, it's almost like not wanting to go see a doctor about strange lumps on our body, afraid of what we might discover. Um, worried about despair, about self-absorption. And, and there's so much that makes up each one of us, but it is impossible to hold together what we don't even know. A, a deeply formed life cannot flourish without a commitment to interior examination. There is more to us than what we can see. There's a, a professor of psychology by the name of David Benner, and, and he recognizes how we can deny particular parts of our lives in avoiding self-examination, which we're all guilty of. And he, and he writes this, he says, genuinely transformational knowing of self always involves encountering and embracing previously unwelcomed parts of self. 
While we tend to think of ourselves as single or as a single unified self, what we call I is really a family of many part selves. That is in itself is not a particular problem. The problem lies in the fact that many of these part selves are unknown to us, even though they are usually known to others. We remain blissfully oblivious of their existence. This is the trouble we find ourselves in. It is impossible to experience wholeness while we regularly split off from our part selves. There is enormous value in naming and coming to these excluded parts of ourselves. My playful self, my cautious self, my outgoing self, my pleasing self, my competitive self, and our many other faces they are all parts of, of us, of me. Whether I acknowledge their presence or not, but to examine them provides us with an understanding of where our anxiety is sourced. And following Jesus involves acknowledging all of our part selves, exposing them to God's love, and letting God weave them into the new person that we are being made into. Over and over again, God invites his people to come from debilitating fear and into a deeper experience of peace and trust. When we examine our anxiety, we can expose the power and grip it has on our lives that's been replacing God's love. So let's look at Psalm 139. The first three verses see David overwhelmed, but he's not overwhelmed with grief, but with gratitude and satisfaction, knowing that God knows him. That God knows it all, the sadness and the joy, his fear and his lust, his hopes and his dreams. That God sees the good in us, the bad in us, the ugly in us, and still loves us. That God knows us thoroughly. And the entire psalm is about David recognizing God's knowledge of him. It goes on in verses 7 and 8 where David speaks of what he knows of God. Not, not as a stalker, but as if he's a big brother, not even as a big brother, but that God is fully present in all places. Whether we are moving towards God or drowning in the midst of our hellish circumstances, our Sheol, he is with us. And David continues to recognize God's knowledge of him. And then by the end of the passage, you sense that David has come to a revelation. That God might know everything about him, but David didn't know everything about himself. So this leads him to verses 23 and 24. So let's read that. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. What is David saying? Show me. I need an awareness of God, but I also need an awareness of self. Augustine wrote, Oh God, let me know myself and let me know you. David in Psalm 139 made time for interior examination and he had the courage to face himself. Now for myself, I find that I can shy away from conversations where uh, there is this unconscious desire to avoid expected anxiety. There have been times when difficult conversations have been necessary, whenever something I've said or done needs clarification or leads to some critique. For me, my anxiety can surface. I've learned that I have a strong need to feel competent and capable. So anytime I believe that someone perceives me as not having those traits, my sense of self is really wounded. But what I'm trying to learn is that the gospel truth of grace 
is something that I need to capture and being compassionately curious with myself whenever anxiety surfaces. Uh, compassionate means to have grace for myself. Curiosity means a desire to learn, to be compassionately curious. So when criticism or conflict comes, how do I respond? Well, often it can be self-loathing, vengeful attacks, isolation, avoidance. These are the ways in which anxiety begins to shape my life. But instead, to be compassionately curious causes me to pause and ask questions of myself, like why do their comments affect me so much? Writing down what, what I sense was happening on the inside. And then reminding myself that like every other person on the planet, I have gaps and I have blind spots and I will always have shortcomings and failings. And when I have done like a simple exercise like this, the lingering effects of anxiety are limited. They're not fully eliminated. I have to process through them. But to have self-examination with compassionate curiosity creates space for the Holy Spirit to heal wounds which have remained hidden and unchecked. I, I hope you hear my heart today. That anxiety is real, but we can be proactive in our acknowledgement of this reality by committing to the biblical invitation of self-examination. To be compassionately curious and asking ourselves questions like, um, what, what am I feeling? Who or, or what situations make me anxious? What, what is the story I am telling myself? What does the gospel say and what action do I need to take that is not my initial response? And perhaps for you this morning, you need to hear the answer to that question, what does the gospel say? Jesus' arrival into our world declares this good news. Hear me. Your failures and mistakes don't define you. God's love does. And the goal of self-examination is to see where we need to accept that truth like a bomb to provide healing and help. Self-examination is meant to open ourselves up to the grace and presence of God. It's meant to, to live in the world with a greater freedom. It's meant to honor our own feelings without shame or judgment. It's meant to become to lead us to becoming a presence in this world, more capable of working towards peace and love because we have an honest understanding of our own struggle. So would you take time this week and ask yourself some of these compassionately curious questions to consider where your anxiety is coming from and, and, and driving you towards, to be honest with how your avoidance of honest self-examination is holding you down. The, the world is in desperate need of people willing to examine their own selves before examining others. To be honest, the work of other examination is really easy and really natural. But the way of self-examination is hard. But by God's grace and the Spirit that helps us through, I truly believe we can find it in a healthy way. I love this quote from Andreas Ebert. He says, Many avoid the path of self-knowledge because they are afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. 
Because God loves us unconditionally, along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. Maybe today can be the beginning of your healing. I think this past year has stirred up so much anxiety and unrest for many of us, and perhaps you need to hear that you are not past the point of no return. That anxiety is part of being human, but to be regularly shaped by anxiety actually diminishes our humanity. It's not what God wants from you. That self-examination with compassionate curiosity can be an ongoing commitment we make as part of our mental health. That rest without realization simply returns us to our place of anxiety, but rest in God is a commitment like the psalmist makes. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Show me. You are fully known and fully loved by God. And through Jesus, we are invited to be shaped by unconditional love that we can bring our deepest fears and struggles to a restoring God and discover peace beyond our expectations. This is not meant to be a magic pill to suddenly never feel anxious again, but it's an invitation to discover a God who's in the middle of the struggle with us, to know that this act, uh, this discipline of self-examination is actually God's invitation to create space for the Holy Spirit to begin to heal all of our wounds and hurts that are holding us down. Church, if this is you this morning, I would invite you to really just close off any noise around you. Take a moment and just join me as I pray at the end. Join me in, in committing our hearts to inviting the Holy Spirit to show us. Show us where our anxiety is sourced. Show us where we need to be healed. Show us where we need to let go. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks that you give us so many promises, but you also give us tools and invitations all throughout your word to discover you and to discover ourselves and, and to discover what it really means to be a child of God, to be fully human and to be fully loved is to be who you designed us to be. I pray right now for everyone who's listening, who, who has felt a, a weight throughout this, this talk this morning, this weight of anxiety that is almost sparked up as we talked about it, that it just makes them want to push everything away and, and not even consider what is going on internally. I pray that, that you would just give them strength right now, that courage would rise within them, that they would see that you are with them and they would face whatever it is internally that they have remained hidden and pushed down for so long. I pray that your healing would flow in the homes of those who are listening, that there would just be a restoration of spirits and hearts and confidence and joy, and there would be a peace that rests upon all that listen, that you care about our mental health, that you care about our well-being, that we would become a people who are deeply formed by you, that we would have the courage to look internally and be deeply formed into the, the image of Christ that we so desire. 
Thank you that even on the Sermon on the Mount, you gave us the invitation to look at ourselves before we look at others. So I pray that 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 becomes the cry of our hearts this week. Show me, God, so that I can be used by you to love the world well. Thank you for your healing. Thank you for your goodness. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.